welcome and let's get started. Mississippi, mighty water 
Curiouser and Curiouser. I'm Sadayu, and uh, that was Waiting for the Bus and Jesus Just Left Chicago. Um, two songs off ZZ Top's 1973 Trey's Ombres album. Um, they're considered essential ZZ Top songs, um, and you can just hear um, the soul in them. There's no other way to say it. Um, uh, they, uh, that album is also a, a particularly important album in ZZ Top's career, uh, because along with two other albums, they ended up establishing ZZ Top as a, um, really respected live act. It was Trey's Ombres, uh, Fandango and, uh, ZZ Top's first album. Um, actually that's the name of the album, ZZ Top's first album. Um, and, um, so, I just wanted to read you a little quote uh, from Dusty Hill, uh, the bassist of ZZ Top, uh, who talked about what waiting for the bus meant, because I just thought it was, it uh, just really sort of um, get an insight into who they are, uh, and especially Dusty Hill. He says, I've always liked that song. This is about waiting for the bus. Uh, It's a working man's song. It's been a couple of years, but I went to Austin from Houston and I decided hell, I'll ride the bus. I hadn't done it in a long time. And you can meet some very unique people on a bus and in a bus station. I like to people watch. I love bus stations and train stations. The thing about a bus is who you have to sit beside. If the guy's got good wine, it's okay. 
So um, as I mentioned, those are actually two different songs, Waiting for the Bus, which kind of bleeds into Jesus Just Left Chicago. There are very different versions of whether they were meant to sort of bleed into each other or whether it was a mistake on the engineer's part. The engineer claims he did not make a mistake because, uh, you know, um, in those days, and um, I, I don't know if that's true now. No, it's not true now. But in those days, they would really think about like even time that you left between songs, how that would affect um, the listening experience. Um, but uh, what we know for sure now is that those two songs are often played uh, in conjunction with one another, just because they're right one after the other, it's almost like the same song. And now uh, Billy Gibbons, uh, who is the uh, guitarist and lead vocalist, says that he can't imagine them not being played together. Um, so welcome again. Before we start, I wanted to first of all say that we are going to dedicate this show to Dusty Hill, the bassist of ZZ Top, who actually died almost exactly a year ago. Uh, it was July uh, 28th. Um, and I remember being really shocked about it. I don't often do this, but I actually did a little Instagram post in his honor because I love ZZ Top. And um, these guys are just, um, again, in so many ways, so foundational. And they, they actually do get the credit they deserve from musicians. Um, musicians that know uh, who they are. So for instance, Jimi Hendrix's favorite guitarist was, surprise, Billy Gibbons. Um, and they opened for Hendrix and the Stones and a who's who of uh, people in music. Um, but I think in sort of the general populace sometimes because of the way that they sort of look, they kind of come off as sort of gimmicky, but I think it's actually done very smartly and tongue-in-cheek. We'll get into all of that, but I wanted to dedicate this show to Dusty Hill. He died in his sleep about a year ago. It was pretty shocking, uh, unexpected. Um, and so this trio of musicians, uh, which are made up of uh, Billy Gibbons, uh, the lead vocalist and uh, guitarist, Dusty Hill, who was the bassist, and Frank Beard, who was the drummer, uh, who had been together for 50 years, um, now became a duo. What's uh, interesting is they are continuing on. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, Dusty Hill's guitar tech is taking on his old role. Um, and uh, he kind of looks like them. He's got a long beard. And uh, uh, I think they just debuted. Willie Nelson uh, has a festival and they debuted at that. And Billy Gibbons was joking that his beard isn't even fake. It's a real beard. Uh, sort of a little, uh, you know, nod to the fact that they've got this kind of look of the long beards and the sunglasses and the funny hats and uh, the synchronized kind of dancing, uh, the slow dancing, I should say. Um, and so um, his guitar tech, uh, uh, um, Dusty Hill's guitar tech will be actually taking his place and they will continue as a trio. Um, but uh, they've been around together for 50 years. They're actually the one of the longest, if not the longest running band uh, in the history of music that have been together for that long. So they've been playing together for a long time. Um, so this is, you know, if you're having something to drink, raise a glass to Dusty Hill, who we lost. Um, I have to say it's very strange. Every time I decide on a topic for a show, it seems to be the anniversary of something. I swear to God, I'm not doing this on purpose. I'll literally decide, you know, oh, I love these guys. I know a lot about these guys the world should know about these guys. Let's talk about these guys. 
And then when I'm like digging in, you know, to get dates and, and, and such, um, I start to realize that uh, it's almost always somebody's birthday or anniversary or something major happens. I think it was Stevie Nick's birthday when we did the Stevie Nick show, Studio 54, it was the 45th anniversary. Taylor Swift got a PhD at NYU that day. Uh, so it just goes to say, um, I don't, I'm not superstitious, but I do believe we're all connected by energy. And I think sometimes when you're tuned into that stuff, you're kind of on the same wavelength. And we were originally going to do another show. And for some reason, I was like, you know what? This was before I knew it was almost a year ago that he died. And I remembered, I decided to do this show instead of some, uh, another one. And uh, voila. So, um, we'll get started. So I'm Sadiu. This is Curiouser and Curiouser. We're a variety show. We uh, delve into a variety of topics. So it could be music as it has been uh, often. It could be uh, uh, technology. We also do interviews with different personalities. Sometimes we have panels. Um, oftentimes uh, we have a show where we're just talking about stuff with folks on stage. Um, sometimes people call in. Generally what we have found is with these music shows, um, you are welcome to join the caller queue if you have something to say. I am not looking at my screen, meaning like I've got my own uh, everything, you know, it's like stitched together with two sticks and string. Um, and I'm keeping my eye on uh, lots of different things here. Um, so if you have something that you're burning to say, like you met Frank Beard in 1970 something and have a great story, we want to hear it. Um, put it in the chat. And when I do happen to look down, I'll see that and bring you up um, or share it via the chat. Um, otherwise, maybe towards the end, uh, if you have some memories or anything that you want to share, uh, we can take some calls. But generally, sort of in the music ones, um, I'm not looking at the screen. And that's why we don't have more sort of callers. Um, so this show is a variety show. It's about lots of different things. And uh, that is very uh uh, it's actually very convenient because ZZ Top is also about lots of different things. They're kind of indefinable. Um, they're categorized as so many different things. People think of them as a blues trio, southern rock, hard rock, boogie rock. Uh, people think they're black. Uh, this certainly happened at the beginning of their careers because their manager, who played a very prominent role, Bill Ham, uh, initially did not allow them to do any media. So they were not seen. This actually ended up working in their favor. People thought they were black um, when they would listen to their music. And then all of a sudden, these three white dudes from Texas showed up. Um, they didn't always have the beards, by the way. Uh, they were clean shaven at one point. You can go back and uh, look up uh, on YouTube, like old, like sort of YouTube clips or old videos, and you can see that they were young ones. And um, they actually performed without the long facial hair and kind of what we think of as very sticky, the synchronized sort of guitar moves and the hats and um, that kind of persona. Um, so um, it's that that's kind of interesting because they are all of these different things. And then when the eighties rolled around and when they really kind of reached a superstar level, um, they started to experiment a little bit with synth and new wave and punk. 
uh, and incorporate that into their sound. So um, they are everything to everyone. And I don't know, you listen and you decide. So what we'll do is we're going to play some clips, a few songs um, that have made them famous. Their catalog is really diverse and wonderful. So I encourage you to check it out. Um, we'll go in sort of a broad chronological order, but we might be sort of jumping around. Um, and as I said, uh, if there's something that you're dying to say, please do go ahead and throw it in the chat or uh, you can join the caller queue. Uh, just know that I'm not looking at my screen and uh, generally just trying to kind of keep things, uh, the trains running, as they say. Uh, and uh, we will now get started. So the trio known as ZZ Top, as I mentioned, uh, it consists of three people, uh, Billy Gibbons, Frank Beard, Dusty Hill. Frank Beard, uh, for the novices, is the drummer who doesn't have the long beard. He sits in the back often. Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill are the two with the guitars in the front with the shades and the long beards. They were formed in 1969. Um, they went on to put out uh, a whole bunch of albums, 15 studio albums. Um, they probably sold around 50 million albums uh, worldwide. And as I mentioned, they um, uh, are the longest uh, sort of unchanged lineup um, in music history at this point. Um, they've won a bunch of awards, three MTV Video Music Awards. As you'll see, these are the unlikeliest video music stars, um, and yet they almost came to define the video music age in many ways. Any of us that were alive, I was a kid growing up, like just getting into this stuff when M I was that generation that when MTV started, um, there were a few things that were on heavy rotation. Um, things, um, you know, songs, and, sorry, artists and, and groups that you would think, yeah, that, that is MTV. But certainly when you think it's easy top, MTV is not the first thing that comes to mind. And yet, in many ways, they defined MTV and certainly MTV defined them and created a national audience uh, for them. And so um, these three, and by the way, it was right before that when they sort of adopted this look of like the sunglasses and the hats and kind of the suits that they wear. But uh, they had been around for a while from the 70s. Um, and uh, uh, Billy Gibbons, you know, prolific musician. Um, I am going to share uh, one of the biggest regrets I have, uh, and I am absolutely not joking about this, was I had the chance to meet Billy Gibbons and I did not. I had a friend that worked at Antone's, the legendary nightclub in Austin, and uh, she worked for Susan Antone and I was there interviewing. This is probably before 2004. I was interviewing with a company and I'd flown from New York City there for five days. And um, my friend's um, boyfriend also managed Billy Gibbons. And so we were in the club and watching some blues. It's a blues club. And I literally saw him. And I just remember thinking he's, wow, he's really little. I'm pretty tall, but I was like, he's little, really little. And he was wearing the little um, hat, the African hat, which is, by the way, a little story I'll tell you after this one. Um, and with his sunglasses, you know, long beard, kind of crouched in the dark and I was having a heart attack. I was like, oh my God, that's Billy Gibbons. And I was saying to my friend, Kathleen, what is Billy Gibbons doing here? And she was like, he's here all the time. She's like, he lives here. And she's like, do you want to meet him? Come on. And I was like, no, 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 I can't meet him. All I could think of, this was Jimi Hendrix's favorite guitarist. And then I loved these guys. And I was like, no, no, no. And she was like, and he was totally like smiling and laughing and like, you know, hanging out in the corner with the beer. And it was like no big deal. It was just like another patron. And I didn't. And I'll never forget. Kathleen was like, he's a nerd. He's such a nerd. He's such a goofball. She was like, 
come on, I will take you to meet him. And I was like, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. And I'm kicking myself now, but um, yeah, I could have had the opportunity and I didn't. And uh, it is a huge regret. But anyway, so Billy Gibbons uh, from Texas, like the other two guitars and vocals, uh, this is a guy that, uh, you know, grew up listening to all sorts of music. Uh, he studied drums with Tito Puente as a kid. Um, and uh, he really got into music and he started playing in a band, a psychedelic band uh, called The Moving Sidewalks. It was like new music. Um, and um, I think they had a single called The 99th Floor. Um, and they were modeled after a group called The 13th Floor Elevators. And um, if you listen to it, it's like that 60s psychedelic sound. Um, and there are these sort of old tapes of them. So you could actually just go online and listen to them. And um, uh, so he was playing in this uh uh, in this band and they were actually getting quite successful. They opened up for, um, lots of different artists, um, and Jimi Hendrix and the experience, uh, the animals, the doors, Jeff Beck, like that's a pretty hardcore roster. One of the stories is that Jimi Hendrix was out in the, uh, in the wings, um, when they were playing some of his songs and uh, when they came off stage, his quote was, you know, I like you. You've got a lot of nerve. Um, and so they were friends and they admired each other. Um, but eventually the other, um, some of the art, other artists in this group, um, I think, got drafted. Um, and so Billy Gibbons was sort of left high and dry. Uh, I think they were left as a trio. So um, they renamed themselves and they called themselves ZZ Top. And the name really came from, they were looking at BB King and they thought, how about ZZ? And then um, they said ZZ King. And they was like, no, that doesn't sound right. And they go, the king is at the top of the pecking order. What about if we make it ZZ Top? So they became ZZ Top. Um, meanwhile, uh, in another part of Texas, uh, Dusty Hill and Frank Beard were sort of jamming together. Dusty Hill was a huge Elvis fan. Um, he was such a huge Elvis fan. He would take all of his Elvis memorabilia, which is a lot, like once they got famous, on the road with him. Like they literally had to have a room for the memorabilia. And he was like, I needed to stop because it was getting weird. Um, and so he stopped bringing the memorabilia. But um, he started playing with Frank Beard uh, as youngsters. They were playing in various bands around Dallas and local bars. Um, and uh, eventually they ended up moving um, to Houston and uh, joined, uh, you know, met up with Billy Gibbons. And, and what the, all three of them say is uh, when they jammed, it was just like, so easy and so smooth. And it was just like, and Frank Beard, you know, they're also understated for all of their talent. These guys are so humble and understated. And Frank Beard was like, yeah, you know, it just, I thought I could play with these guys, you know, says, you know, one of uh, the greatest drummers, uh, I could play with these guys. And so um, they ended up uh, playing together and started sort of formally as ZZ Top. Um, and what's interesting about them is people couldn't quite categorize them, right? Um, you know, blues rockers, but they were even back then quite unusual and a little weird, right? Um, they always kind of 
looked a little a little weird. They were very, very creative um, and had a great sense of humor. So this was sort of showing up in their music. And I personally, as somebody that consumes a lot of music, find this very unusual. Uh, most artists are very, very serious about themselves and their music. Um, there are bands that are kind of spinal tappy, like The Darkness, who I adore. Uh, but they're a real band, right? When they first came out, I was sure they were a joke band. I thought they were fabulous. Uh, turns out they're actually super real, but they reminded me of Spinal Tap. And in some ways, um, ZZ Top actually kind of consciously does that, right? Um, and thus, you know, I go back to my friend who knew them, uh, Kathleen, going, he's a goofball. You can go say hi to him. Come on. He's always hanging around here in the dark. Come on. Come on. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because uh, in my mind, I'm like, no, he's just like the great one of the greatest guitarists ever. Again, probably not something that is widely known among the general populace, but certainly folks that are into music will know how extraordinary guitarists Billy Gibbons is. Um, and as I mentioned, Jimi Hendrix named him as uh, his favorite guitarist. Um, but they always just sort of come off as, you know, slightly cheesy. So the three of them ended up uh, playing together. As I mentioned, uh, they put out their first three albums between 71 and 75, started gigging live, uh, became this very respected live act. Um, and it was really kind of interesting because they did not have sort of huge success. And there's a really, really funny story about how they were playing in uh, some place where the curtains, they were behind curtains, the curtains open, and there's like one guy in the audience. And he looks like he's not supposed to be there, like he's lost. And they're like, oh, shit. They were like, you know what, don't leave, hang out, and we're just going to play a show for you. And uh, so they play a show for this guy. He's standing in the audience. And then they went on to play an encore, <laughs> even though he didn't ask for it. Um, and so, I mean, could you imagine being the one guy in the audience? And these guys aren't famous at this point, right? This is just a band. He probably felt sorry for them. Um, and at the end, they ended up buying him like a Coke or something just to sort of thank him for staying. Um, flash forward, they're like superstars. This guy keeps showing up to their shows and they, they were saying that they don't know what his name is, but he shows up and goes, hey, remember me? I was at that first show of yours. They're like, we've never learned his name. He's a little bit of an odd character. He keeps showing up and uh, reminding us as if we could forget, you know, that there was like one person in the audience. So, um, you know, they were, you know, they were gigging around uh, and building up this uh, sort of, uh, this, following and um they really wanted they were trying to sort of define what their sound was and they had a manager uh called bill ham who was really sort of like a brian epstein for the beatles instrumental in kind of creating sort of the, the top sound um and so he was kind of guiding them both personally and professionally and um what they what well, all they knew was they wanted a big sound um, and there were, they were a trio, right? They loved Jimi Hendrix and Cream. They wanted that sound. They wanted it to be really big. Um, and so they didn't consider themselves a blues band. Um, and they thought of themselves more as sort of interpreting the blues. Um, and so they're nonstop touring. Um, you know, they're trying to figure out what their sound is. Um, and so it's sort of an interesting way how they kind of settled upon what became their sort of signature kind of blues uh, sound. And what I'm going to do is play you a clip 
of uh, the uh, uh, ZZ Top sound. And it's a couple of different people that are being interviewed. Uh, the first one is their, uh, one of their producers, Robin Bryans, who had a studio. He was instrumental in helping them find their sound. So he's speaking. And then you have Billy Gibbons, the guitarist, talking about their manager, Bill, who actually did not want them to do a certain technical thing, which is actually what ended up creating their sound. So they they actually created a diversion, got him out of the studio. So he's talking about that. And then you have Josh Homme from one of my other favorite bands, Queens of the Stone Age. And then you have Dusty Hill commenting, and then it goes back to Brian. But it's going to give you an idea of how the sound was created. So here's a little clip of all of these folks talking about the ZZ Top sound. Billy said, Bill, we found a sound. See what you think about this. He reached over and pushed play. Oh, Bill listened to that. He said, yeah, that's it. That's the sound I want. <laughs> They all told me you yeah. Man, there's something gonna change your life My friends all told me Man, there's something gonna change your life Turn blues into party music. 
I, I love that clip. Um, okay, so that is sort of how kind of blues, you know, even though they're tagged often, uh, blues or boogie or Texas blues type of band, uh, that is sort of in their own words and the words of their producers and uh, other musicians, kind of what the sound, where the sound came from and, and how the sound is interpreted. They've got this record out there. Bill Ham doesn't let them do any media. It ends up paying off because people think they're black. So they end up playing some uh, you know, some festivals and stuff were like the only white guys. And so they're put on last, uh, but to their uh, great relief, uh, some kind of the blues musicians are, uh, you know, kind of nodding and smiling when they're playing. So they're like, Woo, thank God. Uh, and nobody in the audience leaves while they're playing. So they're happy. So they're building up this, this uh, sort of fan base and becoming kind of uh, a really kind of respected live act. Uh, but nobody knows what they look like. Uh, you know, there is no MTV. Um, um, and they're kind of being classified as Texas blues with a rock edge. And then they make it to radio, which is very unusual for blues music to get it into rock radio. And they become bigger. And so one of the songs um, that sort of defines this um, is a song which you may be familiar with, uh, which is called LaGrange. Um, and it is actually about a, um, uh, a brothel, a very famous brothel. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, you know, there's a book and a movie also called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which uh, uh, this brothel inspired uh, and, uh, they uh, write this song, which becomes sort of um, instantly recognizable and kind of defines them uh, for the next decade. And it still does, actually. So I'm going to play this song, and uh, I'm sure you have heard it in some way, shape, or form. It's also been repurposed, but it's considered one of their classics. So here we go, LaGrange by ZZ Top. <laughs> Rumors spread around in that Texas town by the shack outside the game. And you know what I'm talking about. Just let me know if you wanna go to that home on the range. You got a lot of nice girls.
so you can understand why these guys are the favorites of so many musicians and why Jimi Hendrix was like Billy Gibbons is one of my favorite guitarists. And I can like imagine myself, can't you imagine yourself sitting in a, like a club, uh, but like in a, like a blues club, like with a stale beer, like either standing or listening to this stuff and just completely being blissed out. I can like, to me, that is heaven. Um, so LaGrange, um, that song really kind of, kind of made them, you know, it was the first song, it was really a big hit and considered one of their most successful songs. And you've probably heard it because it is repurposed all the time. So what ends up happening? Well, all of a sudden, uh, you know, they explode and Mick Jagger calls them and says, hey, you guys want to open for us in Hawaii? And they're like, oh, yeah. So they go to Hawaii and uh, they freak out the first night because they realize that they look like country bumpkins and they're opening for the Stones in Hawaii, Hawaii. And it's literally like silence when they are come on stage. Um, fortunately, they just were like, we need to get through this and did it. And uh, they ended up having to come back out to play encores all three nights. So that went fine, but they were terrified because they realized as soon as they were on stage, wait a minute, we actually are nothing like the Stones and these people are expecting like an opening act like this could sound like the Stones. And they probably think we're country music or whatever, right? Because you got to remember too, at those times, I mean, Texas, you know, Texas looms large in the legend of, of, of ZZ Top. And um, Texas was not a place that people were like proud to be from. Um, in fact, um, you know, singers like Janis Joplin, I mean, she had a really horrible time in Texas, but, you know, would often like sort of um, cover up her Texas roots and pretend she was from California. And people thought of Texas as like a backward place, you know, it's not very sophisticated and like what's out there, but like tumbleweed and, um, you know, dust. And these guys were all generational Texans. So multiple generations of folks that had lived in Texas and they're definitely sons of the soil. They were so proud of Texas. So Texas was in them and in their music. So they were, they were going to be proud of it. Unlike some others. Um, so the press didn't really get them, right? The press was like, you know, WTF, who are these guys? Like wearing these gallon hats and these, you know, suits with like uh, rhinestones on them, like Liberace. And they still didn't have the long beards yet. They might look, you know, they looked more like country stars um, and uh, playing like opening for the stones. And so they got a lot of harsh criticism and like, you know, um, you know, they used to refer to themselves as the little old band from Texas, which is what we named our show. Um, but uh, the Village Voice, which I don't think exists anymore, but it was a newspaper that, um, you know, like a free newspaper that we would read um, when I was in college in New York City, had everything in it, um, including like showtimes, you know, for music and stuff around the city. Um, basically reviewed ZZ Top and said they sound like a, um, like a, uh, they sound, ZZ Top has a sound like hammered, I think he said hammered shit, um, something like that. Uh, well, you get the gist. It was not very complimentary. Um, so most, you know, the critics didn't get them and uh, they didn't understand like this, this you know, the, what they were trying to do. But these guys were so proud and they were, they've gained a following. They've made it on radio. 
they decide to go on tour and they're calling it the Worldwide Texas Tour uh, because it's who they are. They have such a pride in their culture. They're like, we're going to take Texas to the world. So these guys who don't really have that much money, right? They're still young musicians. They um, rent or buy seven trucks worth of things that they're going to take on the road with them. What do I mean by things? You might be thinking sets. Yes, they did have a stage in the shape of the state of Texas, but they also brought animals with them. Uh, I have no idea what they were thinking, but uh, Frank Beard, I'm going to play you a clip of Frank Beard talking about what they ended up taking on tour with them. And here it is. We finally had a little money to make a production. You know, we've never had made a production before. We didn't know how to make a production. And then, you know, some idiot, and I don't know which one of us it was. I can't remember. But it's like, let's take a buffalo. Yeah, well, let's take a longhorn steer. Well, let's take some rattlesnake. Let's take a javelina pig. Let's take some buzzards. You know, so all of a sudden we've got this thing. You know, seven trucks worth of thing to go out and, and, and do concerts with. Which one's that, two? Two. Five, two. He was business. This buzzard was with my rodeo clown career for 42 years, and it was easy for several years. And so she's, uh, I think we figured she's 49, almost uh, six more months, she'll be 50 years old. When ZZ asked me to come along with them, then... Uh, I suggested the buzzard. She was uh, staged behind uh, Frank Beard. Frank used to tease him. He used to kind of tease with him and stuff. But the buzzards didn't want anybody messing with them. The buzzards were right behind me. <laughs> and if I was playing a slow blues, they would get very interested in me like this he did. You know? <laughs> so I start moving the arms a lot more. So they end up having, I thought that was hilarious. Um, they start, they're basically like the circus. So they're showing up in towns with rattlesnakes, pigs, buzzards, like livestock on stage. People are like, what the heck is this? It's like a rodeo, a circus, bizarre, right? But they're, these guys just again, we're just bringing Texas all over the country. So um, they go on this massive sort of tour with all of these animals and Texas pride. You know, it's like exhausting. Uh, and uh, after the tour, um, you know, they end up needing, clearly with that entire kit and caboodle, they end up needing a little break because it's like, good Lord, uh, they have just kind of been everywhere uh, with and basically a circus. Um, and so all three of them are exhausted. Uh, Frank Beard had actually sadly developed a, that's who you heard speaking, the drummer, uh, at the end. By the way, that little clip you heard, um, Frank Beard speaking at the beginning, and then a guy that was training the buzzard in the middle, and the buzzard is 50 years old. So the buzzard's been as long, uh, around as long as Easy Top, and that buzzard was on tour with them, and he was talking about taking the buzzard with them, and then it ends with Frank Beard uh, obviously talking about uh, the buzzards right behind him when he was drumming. But he ended up um, developing a drug problem. He actually says the first big check that he got, he remembers, was for $72,000. He spent it all on drugs. Um, and he's very sort of uh, straight about it. He says, you know, um, we, you know, he's like, we 
I didn't have enough money to become an addict at that time. But um, until basically 1977, when he did have money to become an addict, but um, he said, you know, he did everything, LSD, Coke, pills, heroin. And he's very upfront about it. He's like, I loved it. It made me feel great, but started to realize that I couldn't keep up with that lifestyle. It ended up, you know, as always killing relationships and uh, he spent a lot of his money. And so when they came off tour, um, each of them went in a separate direction. Frank Beard ended up going to rehab. Um, Dusty Hill, I love this man. Dusty Hill decided to go become a baggage handler in an airport. Okay, these guys now are rock stars. I love these men. He decides, you know what? I'm gonna go do a real job. And uh, uh, they're so not pretentious. He's like, I'm gonna go be a baggage handler. So he calls himself Joe and ends up going to uh, an airport and handling baggage, not for like a day or a few weeks, like months. And he says it was so great to get off work and go have a beer with the fellas. So here you have this basically international rock star uh, that is, um, or national rock star, I would say. Uh, they're well known at this point, at least in America, like, you know, being a baggage handler at an airport. So I thought that was really great. And then Billy Gibbons uh, ends up doing all of this stuff, traveling. He goes to London where he noticed there's a new movement called punk. Uh, who, uh, you know, which is sort of shaking things up. And then he uh, is like following some gurus in India. And so he's having like this very eclectic time. So their break goes from like three months to six months to 12 months to two years. Um, and they apparently need it. Um, and in many bands, and what's really interesting about ZZ Top is they don't seem to have the conflict that characterizes so many of the sort of uh, great legendary bands, right? We've talked about Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks. And that, I mean, I'm surprised she doesn't have an ulcer. All of them don't have ulcers, right? Because there's constant tension. The Beatles, uh, the Eagles, you know, legendary, the Stones. Um, and so much tension and argument and, uh, you know, sometimes leading to violence and people quitting and coming back. And that never seems to have been the case. These guys loved playing the music they played. They loved playing together. It was smooth. And so the reason they really stopped was because it was just exhausting and they needed to take a break. But they come back together um, and they went right back. It was just like a puzzle piece fitting. And I think that is actually something very extraordinary and something to note. Um, and so, you know, Billy Gibbons is thinking about punk and alt, and he's thinking about how that should influence their music. Um, and as I said, they are very experimental um, and they were always creating, you know, new sounds. Um, and so they start to think about, they also realize when they come back from, uh, this sort of two year vacation that both all of them have grown these beards. Um, and they just say that they were just very lazy, but Frank notices that Dusty and uh, Billy's beards are really long and his is short. So he's like, F that I'm not going to be like sitting around with this like puny beard. I'm just, I'm not going to have a beard. But those two other guys love their beards. They decide to keep the look. And that's when they decide to do this kind of with the hats and the sunglasses and the suits, uh, dressing the same. Um, and that kind of the mechanics of like the 
kind of the ZZ Top look start to take form, right? So they come back, they're experimenting with a new look, a new set, and again, really creative, you know? When you think about artists that keep reinventing themselves, they're very few. And I can think of like Madonna, who sounds different. Rihanna sounds different on every song. Um, and I think she's actually even better than Madonna in that sense. Like you can't recognize her from song to song. They sound like different genres. Uh, but these guys too, you know, they're probably not given credit because they still have those beards. But if you go through their musical trajectory, it's so many different kinds of songs. Um, and they try, uh, sorry, different styles and genres and influences. And so they, uh, the ZZ Top sort of as we know them kind of emerges, right? So the two long beards and Frank, quote unquote, beard, which is his last name. So they reemerge with this disguise, essentially. Um, and uh, they, you know, and it's funny, Billy Gibbons like these beards, they go where we do. So they have a sense of humor about their beard. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, Dusty Hill has sadly passed away very recently and his guitar tech is going to be taking his place. And, uh, you know, the first thing that Billy Gibbons joked about was like his beard's real because it is so kind of who they are. Um, but what it also did was it kept that mystery that Bill Ham started about, you don't want to be on album covers. So they start to grow these beards and develop these new personas. Now, what happens around this time? We're like creeping up into the 80s. Um, this thing called MTV shows up on the scene. Um, I so remember when we went from Friday Night Videos, which was a solid gold, solid gold Friday Night Videos, and then uh, to MTV um, in the early 80s. And um, there's a really funny story of how Frank Beard was watching MTV and he thought it was a TV special on music. And he was like, hey, wow, this is a long special. This is going on and on. Again, I just love their stories, their personas. I literally want to take all three of them, put them in a box and take them home with me. Like, so cute. Um, he's like, this is like a this is like a long special. It's like three hours, four hours. So he calls Dusty Hill and he's like, I'm watching this five hour special. It's still going. It's on music. You should like check it out. So Dusty Hill checks it out. Then he calls Billy Gibbons and uh, they're all like, when does this end? How, what, how long is it? They don't realize they're watching what is this new music channel called MTV. Now, there's no calculus in the world that can tell you, you change your, you know, your look into something, frankly, weird. These long beards and the sunglasses. I mean, nobody looked, that, that wasn't like a cool look. That, like nobody was trying to look like that, okay? So there was no calculus behind having this new kind of strange look and all of a sudden, uh, this music video phenomenon and like that, that would even be a match. Right. But it was sort of the beginning of MTV. They, they adopted it immediately and they thought, yeah, this is great. We want to do this. Um, and so, you know, they're at this point where again, that creative experimental side of theirs kind of drives, uh, what they end up doing. They've got this kind of, uh, slightly changed sound that's influenced by new wave and punk uh, and also a little bit later some synth and it transforms them um, and MTV takes them and turns them into real stars like cultural icons superheroes makes them international so that they are recognizable everywhere by that look right so it's like sort of a perfect storm of things coming together and there's no way that you can sort of plan for that. Mark, it could have bombed. 
it could have been a disaster for them, but it wasn't. It ended up working. So Bill Ham, their manager, is like, yeah, great, let's do videos. So he gets together with a guy named Tim Newman, who's a director. Tim Newman happens to be the brother of Randy Newman, who wrote the song, I Love L.A. And Tim Newman says, yeah, sure, I will direct a bunch of videos for you. So they do three videos. Um, and this trilogy is really what kind of puts them on the map. And I will tell you, they are hilarious. As I mentioned, I was a little kid when I was watching these, and it wasn't hilarious to me then. It was like very dramatic watching these videos. Um, but it was three videos uh, for three of their songs. Um, Give Me All Your Loving, which is absolutely one of my favorite songs. Um, she's got Legs, Legs is the name of the song, and Sharp Dressed Man. So these three songs off of an album called Eliminator, um, he directs the videos for, and he turns them into stories, these little narratives. Um, and what the stories are is ZZ Top, you know, at this point, think about who the other folks on MTV are. Madonna, Duran Duran, um, it is all of the Janice Jackson, Michael Jackson, um, MTV is making, you know, eventually in the nineties, it'll become Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers. But these are the folks that were sort of pioneering MTV as much as MTV was pioneering them and Cindy Lauper and ZZ Top definitely stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, they look like a novelty act, like a joke act, right? But, and these videos did not help by the way, as an adult looking back, I'm like, wow, I, I would have like been like, heck know if I was like their manager, like they're not doing these videos because I'm like, no one's going to take them seriously. But that's the, like the wonder of these three, everything is tongue in cheek. They have a great sense of humor. Um, and so these three videos and the narrative is in the videos, there's always an underdog. Uh, you know, it's like some kid, some teenager that's being hassled at his job as a mechanic, or she's a girl at a shoe store. Her boss is treating her like crap. The clients are treating her like crap. And what happens is there's this song, uh, there's this hot rod because Bill, Bill, their manager said the only three things that need to be in the video are the music, girls and cars, but they get this hot rod um, and this red kind of long car and that car appears in all the videos. And it's sort of like kind of the fourth star of the video. The fifth star is this trio of women who are kind of these hot and like models um, that are kind of as easy top babes that are in that car and everywhere they show up, they're like these Avengers, right? They change everything. And then ZZ Top's role is they show up in the videos playing. And this is where they start doing their weird little synchronized dance, uh, which um, I love Dusty Hill. People are like, uh, what do you call your dance? He's like, well, I don't know what it is. He goes, it's low energy, high impact. And I'm like, that is so true. That is so genius. So it's basically them with their guitars, like sort of in synchrony, kind of just going back and forth with Frank Beard behind them on drums with their beards. The three of them show up to either, you know, their little cameos of them playing like near the gas station. Oh, and all the backdrops are like Texas. It's like, you know, tumbleweed and deserts and these dusty highways and a gas station in the middle of nowhere. It's like very iconic um, of what you think about when you think about kind of like taking a road trip in Texas. And they're also kind of like the fairy godfathers. And like when the kid looks up, they hand him the, the sort of um, totem in the, um, like the symbol of like sort of we're, we're, you know, handing you the keys to the kingdom is like 
a Z keychain. It's hilarious. You have to watch these videos. It's like a double Z keychain. And they like throw the protagonists in the video, the keychain. And so then they've been given the kingdom of the keys of the kingdom of ZZ Top. So they kind of turn out to be these wizardy type of godfathery figures that kind of disappear and appear like literally they fade in and out. And then you see them playing their music. And what happens is the car shows up. There's a kid in trouble. The three girls get out. Uh, you know, they end up like in the in the case of one video, I think it's legs. They transform the poor shop girl into this hot, foxy woman uh, and take her to the guy that she, you know, is actually being prevented from falling in love with. And they sort of, you know, as they're doing this, they go back and give it to the shopkeepers that were rude to her, like her bosses and the clients that were rude to her um, and completely transform her. Um, and in the video with... Um, give me all your loving um it's a mechanic a kid and uh they kind of show up out of nowhere zz top like throws the kid you know the keys to the car and this car shows up these three women step out they take him into the car you know he tumbles out of it god knows when afterwards um and uh you know gets yelled at by his boss uh he's under the car and realizes he's been asleep and it's a dream and then he moves his rag and the, the ZZ keychain key is there. And he's like, oh, it wasn't a dream. And then the Eliminator car goes by. So so they're really cheesy, um, but they were huge, those three videos. Um, and so um, that those three videos together basically created the modern ZZ top that you see. And it's an extraordinary thing to think about. Um, that three videos, that trilogy changed everything for them. Um, and so they took this huge risk. Uh, you know, it was a departure from their sweet spot. They trusted this director that made this narrative of them being kind of the three sort of uh, heroes, you know, in a series of videos. But the real sort of Avengers are the three hot women that are kind of the stand-ins for ZZ Top. And, you know, they are in the background either playing music or like, you know, taking their hands and like doing like a weird wave in the direction of the car uh, or sort of laughing or throwing keys to the teenager. Um, and I think Rolling Stone calls legs uh, a masterpiece. Um, and of course they've got, you know, all the campy like tricks of like, they've got a guitar, like a fur covered guitar, um, you know, like that they spin in synchrony. Um, and it looks very, very dated compared to the videos today. Um, but it's pretty, um, you've got to go back and watch them because they're great songs, but also the videos are hilarious. And in Sharp Dressed Man, which is the second of this trilogy, um, uh, again, there is a valet. They end up, these three wise men, the guardian angels, ZZ Top show up. Um, you know, they are, uh, the women show up. They're Trent, this, the, the, uh, mechanic, uh, sorry, the valet is transformed uh, by the visitation of these women. And then they take him into the club where he, where he was the valet. And he's sort of the star. Of course, this is all because of ZZ Top. Um, and so these three videos end up becoming like huge. They're played constantly on MTV. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play for you um, this is one of my absolute favorite uh, ZZ Top songs. It reminds me so much of my childhood, but um, I will tell you, I close my eyes and I literally 
see the tumbleweed and dust of Texas, but it's called Give Me All Your Loving. And uh, later on, you guys should go ahead and check out the videos as well. But let's give this a listen.
wonder if you can close your eyes and see Texas like I do. Um, I just want to play a little bit of Legs. I'm not going to play the whole song. Uh, you've probably heard it, but this this was the second in that um, trio of songs that really kind of changed uh, the trajectory of their careers. I'm just going to play a little bit. This is the song that Rolling Stone says is the masterpiece. And uh, everybody, it's, it's one of these three as being sort of um, you know, the sort of uh, peak of uh, their artistry. I'm not sure if I agree exactly with that, but uh, here it is. to love about these guys is all of this was so tongue-in-cheek. Um, the outfits, the synchronization, the kind of them appearing as sort of the, you know, the puppet masters, the fairy godfathers. Um, and when this was playing on MTV, I, we certainly didn't think of it as a joke. We would just think, oh, they're sort of cheesy, but um, they were like a real artist. I mean, I wasn't that into them. I didn't own any of their records, but you certainly knew who they were. I mean, I was more into kind of, we think of like Duran Duran and, and Madonna and folks like that really kind of creating kind of the MTV age. And certainly uh, I remember, you know, as like a, a little girl, those were sort of the, you know, what we thought of. Um, but these guys were on heavy rotation. You would hear these songs all the time. I started to actually really get into them more as um, an adult, um, but Anyway, they are definitely in your consciousness as a child because they were all over MTV. Eliminator, the album uh, that that came off of, went multi-platinum. Um, it was a little bit of a different direction for them. They were mixing, you know, like the electric guitar, clearly with synthesizer and new wave and blues and rock. Um, 2010. Um, and, you know... Um, as I mentioned, I think all of this on their side was done a little bit like tongue in cheek. Uh, not They didn't really take themselves that seriously. They took their craft very seriously, obviously, but they didn't take themselves that seriously, which is so refreshing. And I think when you grow up and you go through the trials and tribulations of dealing in the adult world and all of the, the burdens and challenges and sorrows and things that you have to deal with as an adult that maybe aren't as... Uh, a parent when you're a child, um, you look back on these guys and go, wow, they really were very well adjusted and just were tongue in cheek and were able to kind of pull this thing off. I mean, as a kid, you were just taking it seriously and going, oh, those guys that look like hell's angels that do kind of like the uh, 
uh, tempt they all they dance like you know a uh, catatonic uh, temptations like the, a catatonic um, version of the temptations because um, they're like you know completely synchronized and have like the weird guitars like you know something that fur on their guitars and uh, wear the funny hats um, and uh, looking back you're like no it kind of like the joke was on us you know it was sort of like ZZ Top was playing a joke on us should also point out, you know, they wore these hats and at some point, um, Billy Gibbons, uh, this is how unusual and, uh, you know, uh, creative they are, uh, met the head of some African country in Vienna and um, he was gifted with a hat from that country and he started wearing the hat. It looks like a skull cap with like little dreadlocks on it. So you'll often see him wearing that hat instead of the normal like ZZ Top hat or both of them together. Actually, if you look really closely, you'll see he's got one on top of the other. So I just love this guy. These guys have their own sense of style, especially uh, Billy Gibbons. Um, so they end up sort of in the consciousness. Um, they are the unlikeliest of MTV uh, superstars, but they have really kind of helped set the foundation uh, for MTV with these three videos. Um, and they their next... Uh, album is called Afterburner and sort of follows in the same kind of vein in the sense that they're experimenting, they're getting more synthy, synth you know, the synthesizer, um, and uh, they have a video for uh, a song called Sleeping Bag and um, in it, you know, ZZ Top, again, they manifest as sort of like the fairy godfathers and now they're like Gandalf, they're creating bridges and houses uh, to help the protagonist like get away from you know, terrible people. Um, and uh, so um, there's that. And then there is a ballad uh, that they put out called Rough Boy. I do remember this playing a lot too. I don't remember liking it very much. I'll just play a teeny bit because their sound goes in such a different direction now. Um, it actually sounds so starkly different. And the video is a it's strange. It's like a Star Wars. It's, it's, so the Eliminator, you know, car appears, but as a space shuttle um, with the same symbols, the ZZ Top keys are in these videos again, you know, this, the Z emblem that they throw to somebody. Um, and you have kind of a more sort of, dare I say, uh, sexualized version. And, and in, this, in this case, it's just like two female legs, but it's like happening in space. They're sort of disembodied heads on these modern frames. It's a weird video. I just want to play a teeny, teeny bit of it for you. I'm actually watching the video right now and it's like it's so bizarre you have to watch it like the it, it's it's they're trying to be very futuristic and it's a very 80s sound um, and uh, like when I hear that song I'm like yep that's the 80s so um, 
they take this new direction. That song that I just played for you, Rough Boy, becomes a huge hit in 1986. Very futuristic theme, very, very 80s. It's all over MTV. It's a ballad. Um, and you still have some of that in imagery that has followed over through Eliminator, the car keys, you know, now it's easy to talk the space station. The three um, sort of avenging women models are gone. And it's a little bit more sexualized. A pair of ladies' legs are kind of walking around uh, in this version. Um, and it's it's a new sound for them, right? So um, it's a, it's seemed very futuristic. I remember there was no internet back then. So I remember watching the video and going, wow, that's, that's like the future. So, yeah. Um, and so the tour, the Afterburner tour, which ostensibly was sort of Eliminator and Afterburner together, was the highest grossing tour of 1986. And those two records um, and Recycler were really, which was the next record, were actually the last ones to use that kind of synthesizer sequence because they started to lose steam. People started to lose interest in that sound. So um, at that point, um, they kind of went back to their sort of blues, all their roots. They released a bunch of more albums up into 2012 and a compilation in 2019. Um, and we're sort of around, right? ZZ Top, uh, you've, if you've not listened to their music, you've probably heard of them. Uh, a lot of their music is used in commercials. LaGrange is obviously a really famous one, but probably those 80s songs. Um, be interesting to know if people recognize them, like people that were born later recognize any of those songs. Um, and so they're around. Uh, and as I mentioned it, during this time, uh, you know, I see Billy Gibbons at Antone's and I'm still freaking out, even though like I'm not like some huge fan or anything, because I know what his significance is in music and I know how talented he is. Um, and of course, there's a little kind of, uh, you know, poignant, like sort of emotional part of like that was a part of my childhood. But, um, you know, I know who he is. Um, and, uh, you know, um, they're around, they are collabing with lots of other artists. Uh, Billy Gibbons, particularly, is a prolific collaborator. They're actually, by the way, Billy Gibbons is actually in the studio right now with Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age and Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters and Nirvana, um, which is going to be really exciting. And they're producing something. Um, I'm not exactly sure what. But um, Billy Gibbons is collaborating with this huge range of folks, B.B. Uh, King, along uh, with sometimes the rest of the top, Nickelback, Kid Rock, Hank Williams, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Government Mule, Sammy Hagar, um, Jeff Beck, Social Distortion, John Fogarty. I mean, it goes on and on. He does a little bit of acting, Billy Gibbons. Uh, he, he's got a barbecue sauce. Um, so he's working on all these little projects on the side. ZZ Top is sort of chugging along, putting out albums. And uh, of course, um, last year, uh, around this time, uh, Dusty Hill, uh, the bassist, suddenly passes away in his sleep. Um, and the last song that he played uh, is what we're going to go out with. It's a song called Tush. Um, and it is also one of their more famous songs. Um, the things that I've chosen to play for you are songs that I think are representative of their most popular songs, uh, the songs that made them famous, and some of the songs that actually show off some of the artistry and the playing. Um, there is a whole catalog of amazing stuff to dig into and discover uh, by them. You know, Dusty Hill sadly 
passes away. Um, it was not something that was expected. Uh, and there was a lot of outpouring. Um, and uh, I just thought, wow, this is a huge, huge loss. So I did end up posting something on Instagram um, and was really sort of shocked and sad uh, by it. But um, this is a a band which is so truly American, so, you know, unique, so weird, um, and so much like, you know, it's woven into the fabric of who we are. Um, and when you think about sort of the directory of music and MTV, sort of the unlikeliest of video stars. Um, and so I, I really mean it when I say they are really everything, just like the show Curiouser and Curiouser, they're a little bit of everything. And so I want to go out um, with playing Tush. Um, the song is actually a, uh, a play on words. Uh, it means Tush, like a derriere. But also uh, Tush uh, means, uh, you know, in Texas, it also can mean plush and very lavish and very luxurious. So uh, someone can say, uh, you know, that's a Tush bag that you've got there. They're not talking about the rear end of your bag. They mean that you've got a luxurious, gorgeous bag. Um, and so I want to go out playing that song. It's another one of their sort of iconic songs. And um, also just want to say cheers uh, to these most unique, uh, most prolific, most talented, uh, and most American uh, rockers. And uh, I want to say good night. And we're going to go out with Tush. So uh, I'm going to play this for you guys, and I hope that you enjoy it and have a great evening. Good night, everybody. Yeah.